Thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited to, to bring the word this morning. Uh, we had a wonderful first service, and, uh, and we're having a wonderful second service. So we're, uh, as you know, we're in the middle of our series for the month of December. It's called Go Tell It. And uh, our, our goal this month is very simple. We've been stating this every week. Our goal is to encourage you and to challenge you to live a lifestyle that will go and tell of the love of Jesus that you've experienced in your life. And we've been given a mandate by our Savior uh, that, uh, that many of us, you've heard mentioned many times, it's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus said, it was right before he went back into heaven, and he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all nations, make disciples of all nations, and lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm paraphrasing that, but uh, basically Jesus is saying, go into your world and make disciples. Not all of us are called to go overseas, but we're all called to go into our world and to, and to share the love of God with the people that God has put in our life. Uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul said in Colossians, he said that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Amen? Christ in us is the hope of glory. He has put it in us to be able to go share that hope that, that the world so desperately, so desperately needs in their lives. And uh, our verse that we've been sharing every week for this month is from Isaiah 52 and verse 9. It says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, and who say to Zion, your God reigns. God says that we are beautiful when we proclaim his salvation. When we bring that good news, we have, a, we have good news to give people. We have a gift. It's Christmas time. It's all about, we talk a lot about gifts and putting gifts under the tree. The best gift that was ever given wasn't put in a box and put under a tree. It was wrapped in swaddling clothes and put in a manger. Amen? And we have that gift that, that God has called us to give to the world. And, uh, and our hope is that, that this will be something that will stay with you and will not uh, just be a December series that we're doing, but, but will be something we'll look forward to in 2019 and for the rest of our lives. Uh, I've entitled this message, A Life Worthy. And uh, we're going to talk about living a life that is worthy of the calling that we've been given. And I, but before I do that, I want to just kind of recap weeks one and two of this series, in case you weren't here. Week one, we, we talked about uh, actually going and telling it with our words. You know, that we all have a story to tell. We all have a testimony. We all have a, uh, the love that God has put in us. And we have, we have that story that we can share with others. And that it's so imperative upon us that we do not allow the fear of rejection or, or apathy in our life to get in the way of our love for others and sharing the gospel with others. And it's so important that we use our words that God has given us to be his mouthpiece. Uh, and then last week we talked about uh, what it means to live a life that goes and tells it. Um, not just our words, but our lifestyle that it would back up what we say. And uh, we started with generosity last week and how generosity tells people that, that don't know Jesus, it tells them that we love them because of what Jesus did for us. And, uh, you know, we talked about uh, James chapter 2 and how faith without works is dead because our faith is designed to reproduce itself. You know, God has put that faith in us and it was meant to reproduce in the lives of the people that we have, that we live with and do life with. And uh, that we're on a, as Christians, we're on a battleship, not a pleasure cruise. That we are in a war for souls. And uh, once you join this army, once you give your heart to Jesus and call yourself a Christian, you are enlisted in this army of going and advancing the kingdom of God uh, through your life. And, uh, you know, talk about generosity. We ended last week with uh, Jessica came up and was sharing about the club outreach that we've been doing through this church for the last nine years. We're going down to the, the strip clubs downtown and some of the girls in our church that go in and just get opportunity to, to just love these girls and pray with them. And, and uh, we try to bless them with things when we can. And uh, we uh, last couple of years, we've been doing, uh, giving them a little something, a little something for Christmas. 
And uh, this year we really wanted to, to just take it to another level, just really bless them and show them how much we love them. And so uh, Jessica came up, we talked about how we'd like to give uh, gift cards to all these girls for Christmas, you know, because most of them have kids and families and, and they don't make much money. They just really can't afford to do much. Some, some Christmases go, come and go and they don't get anything for their kids. And, and so uh, we had set this goal where we'd like to give $200 gift cards from Walmart to every one of these girls, and there's 30 girls. And so we knew that was $6,000, but we thought, you know what, we're gonna shoot for the moon, we're gonna hope and pray for the best and see how New Hope responds. Well, let me be the first to tell you that you guys responded in a way that blew our minds, because as of this morning, $9,000 has been given to that club outreach. That's right. We should be praising God for that, because that is God, that is God putting his heart and his love in us to be able to love on those girls. That is not something that we do on our own. This is, this is God moving among us to bless these girls. And I'm telling you, we're so excited about what we're going to be able to do for these girls. And I promise you, we will be bringing a report very, very soon. So please stay tuned to that. But thank you so much for your generosity. It's, it's just, you guys just go above and beyond all the time. We, we've just been blown away uh, to the point that we've just been in awe. And uh, it's been really amazing. So, so praise God for that and for you and your, your willingness to obey the Lord. So, um, so today, like I said, I, I've entitled this message, A Life Worthy. And what I want to do is, last week we talked about uh, generosity and that, the principle of living your life um, in a way that will go and tell it and how generosity does that. And I want to give you three more principles today, which will make a total of four, uh, to finish up this, this portion of the series. Because next week's going to be our Christmas service. And it's going to be a little different angle, and a little different drive next week we're going to be sharing the gospel next week and we're encouraging you to bring your your the people in your life that need to to experience the love of jesus and need to recapture their faith or or uh, just experience god for the first time we encourage you to bring them next week we're going to pack this place out and and have a wonderful service together but uh but our, our life is designed to live in a way that will that will tell of the love of god and um i want to give you a verse out of ephesians 4 in verse 1 this is the apostle paul speaking he wrote this from prison and he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. We, we are called to live a life worthy because the standard that we live by matters in making an impact in the world. There is a standard that we have been called to in life. Now, let me let me stop for a second again and reiterate, because this is very, very important that we understand that this is not we're not talking about salvation. We do not work for our salvation amen we are saved by grace through faith in jesus christ the bible is very clear that if you confess jesus with your mouth that you confess that he is lord you believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved amen and hallelujah but because of that salvation because of that grace working in our life there is a standard in our life we don't we don't do the things in our life we don't live to the standard to get saved or to receive grace we live to the standard because we're saved and because we've received grace amen we live by a standard. And, and what Paul is saying here is he call, he's calling on us to live a life worthy of the calling that has been put on us. Now, when you talk about calling in people's lives, you know, we're all, we all have a specific callings in our life that may lead us in different directions than another person that's sitting right beside you. You know, we, we have callings, whether it's in our vocation, where we're going to live, who we're going to be married to, what we're going to do with our life. It's, it's different. You know, not everybody's called to ministry. Not everybody's called to work in the work world. There, there's different callings. But one calling that every believer, everyone that professes the name of Jesus, one of the callings that we all have together is to be salt and light in this world. 
Every one of us are called to be salt and light. And that's what Paul is saying here. Be, live a life worthy of the calling that God has called you to. And it's because he wants us to live that life in that way because that is what impacts the kingdom of God. That is what impacts the world and brings the kingdom of God to this world. So that people will see the love of God through us. Because whether you, whether you know it or not, church, people are watching you. If, you t- if you, people around you know you're a Christian, they are watching you closely. And they want to see how you live. And if, you're, if your lifestyle backs up your words. And God's called us to do that for that purpose. We don't want to just take the grace of God for granted. But we want to live a life that exemplifies that grace. And because, of what's God, because of what God's done in my life, I want so bad to go out and just share them with others. I want to live in such a way that God will be glad that he gave me that grace. You know, I'm, Of course God's glad he gave us that grace. But you know what I'm saying. I want to do it in a way that's honoring to him because of what he did for me. And so the, the first principle that I want to share with you today that, that helps us to live a life that tells it is intimacy with God. And now intimacy with God is, is something I'm very passionate about. This, this is about your personal relationship with Jesus. It's having a deep personal relationship with Jesus. It's, it's imperative upon us as believers to, f- to focus on that in our life. And I know some of you may think, well, what does that have to do with going and telling it if, we're talking, if you're talking about having this personal, private relationship with Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to share it. Because we cannot tell of someone that we don't know anything about. We cannot share a Jesus that we don't really know. And it's, it's, it's the, there's nothing, church, hear me, there is nothing, nothing, nothing more important in your life than your relationship with Jesus. Nothing. And your relationship with Jesus cannot consist, the sum total of it cannot consist on, on coming to church on Sunday mornings. It can't, you can't do it because you, you will be ineffective. There won't be fruit in your life to be able to share him with others the way God intended you, for you to do it. He's called us to share our life with others. And there, there's, this, there's this level of relationship with Jesus. See, if, if, our, if the sum total of our relationship with him is church, that is what is actually having a negative effect to some degree on our society. It's why some people are not are, are disenfranchised with the church because some of us, some of the church, it, it doesn't have much of a relationship with Jesus. So all they need to understand really is, well, you should be going to church and you shouldn't be getting drunk during the week and you shouldn't be living with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. And we're we're kind of we're kind of portraying that to society, and they're saying, well, Christians are just a bunch of people with just a bunch of rules. When in reality, if we're coming to people in love and it's based on a relationship that's where our, our, our deeds are springboarding out of a deep relationship with Jesus, it comes across completely different. We love on them in a different way. We're, we go into the clubs. We go downtown and, and minister to the homeless. We do it not saying like, you guys need to be, act like this. You need to look like this. But we're just loving them because we know Jesus well and we know his heart is for those people. And, and your relationship with Jesus is a very private thing. Now, let me be very clear here. Our, our faith is not private. Okay, we, we live our faith out loud. But there has to be an aspect of your life with Jesus that it's just you and him. That nobody else is involved with. That it's just you getting with him, getting in the word, studying his word, and asking him, talking to him, praying, and being consistent about spending time alone with him. You know, I, I, have, I have a relationship with Jesus that, that has nothing to do with my wife. You know, my wife and I pray together. We, we, we talk about our faith all the time. We're in ministry together. We, we do lots together. But there's an aspect of my relationship with Jesus that's just me and him. That I have to get alone with him and I have to read my Bible on my own. And I talk to him and I say, I want you to give me your heart, Jesus. I want you to speak to me. And we all have to have that. That's what that intimacy is because that takes us to the next level. And we have to understand how big of a privilege that is. 
I mean, to think about it, that, that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the, the, the one that created the whole universe wants to have an intimate relationship with me. That's phenomenal when you think about that. It, it changed my life when I had that realization. You know, there is too many in the people in the church that don't get that, that don't understand that that's what God really wants. You know, I grew up for a long time. I grew up thinking that, you know, I believe the Bible. I believe God, you know, he made the heavens and the earth. He made Adam and Eve. He made the oceans, the sun, the moon, the stars, all that. And then he just kind of sat back and looked over it and watched it. And, you know, if somebody prayed enough, he'd say, oh, that person prayed enough. I'm going to do what he wants. Oh, that person prayed. Oh, that one didn't. So we can't do that. And he just kind of watched and, you know, almost looked for, I, I felt so like sometimes in ways he'd look for ways to get me. You know, like, ooh, Reagan really screwed up. We're going to get him now. And a lot of Christians live their life believing that way. When in reality, it couldn't be more the opposite of that. He created all that stuff. Then he says, now I want to come in to your life. I want to be in your life. I care about the numbers of hair on your head. I care about your innermost being. I created you in your mother's womb. I knew every day of your life before one of them came to be. And I want to be with you and part of everything that you're doing if you will invite me in. That's the God we serve. That's the God that wants a relationship with us. And that is an incredible privilege to have that. Let's look at what Paul said in Philippians 3 and verses 4, the second part of verse 4 through verse 8. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Now, let me stop right there for a minute. Let me translate that for you. Because that's, that's hard for some of us to understand because that's written in context of back then. It, to, to say that today would be, okay, guys, I go to church twice a week. I go to three small groups. I lead one. I read my Bible through four times a year. I pray three hours a day. I fast once a week. I post scriptures on social media every day. I haven't had road rage in 20 years. I do everything a good Christian person should do all the time. And if anyone is going to brag on anything, it's going to be me. That's what Paul's saying here, okay? He's lived the, the church life perfectly, exactly the way that it was expected to be lived back then. And here's how he responds to that in verse 7. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That is the person that had probably more revelation than anyone else in, that's ever walked on the earth besides Jesus. It says, I've done everything. I've even done what Jesus has told me to do. But I can tell you that it, in comparison to knowing him, it's all rubbish. Now, he's not saying all that stuff's rubbish. He's saying in comparison to knowing him. And that word knowing there is the same word that's used when it, the Old Testament talks about Adam knowing Eve and she conceived the son. That's how intimate that knowing is. He's, he's saying nothing is any better. Nothing even compares to just knowing my Jesus deeply and intimately and passionately. It's phenomenal what Jesus wants to do in each one of our lives and how he wants to be in relationship with us. Because, you know, it wasn't always that way. You know, you look at the old covenant, it, you, not everybody could just have a relationship with God. You know, it was basically the priests and they could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. You had the prophets that would talk to God. The king couldn't even have a relationship with Jesus. If the king needed to inquire from, to God, he would call the, the seer or the prophet in and say, hey, go talk to God for me. And the prophet would go talk to God and come back and report. The king himself couldn't have a relationship with God. 
In fact, there's one story in the Old Testament that really just, man, every time I read it, it just, it, it blows me away because it's so powerful and so crazy how, how it used to be. Uh, you know, back when David first became king, uh, one of, you know, early in his reign, he defeated the Philistines. The Philistines had come in earlier and taken the Ark of the Covenant and they captured it and they had it in their territory. So when David beat the Philistines, they got the Ark back. And it, this Ark, it represented the presence of God. It literally was the presence of God to them. And they were bringing it back into Jerusalem. It was on a cart and two oxen were pulling it. And they're all rejoicing, saying, we got the ark back. They were so excited. You know, the blessing of God was coming back to Israel. King David, you know, did all this. And they're coming back in. And it says that the ox stumbled. And because it stumbled, there was a guy there named Uzzah. Who was, he was concerned that the ark maybe fall, would, might fall because of the, this ox stumbling. So it says he grabbed it to steady the ark. And the Bible is very clear. It says immediately after that, God struck Uzzah dead. Because he so callously approached the presence of God. He was literally trying to help to make sure it didn't fall. God said, nope, you can't, you can't approach me like that. Killed him right there on the spot. It actually says that King David was angry about it because God had done that to him. But, but the, the, the gist of that and the, the takeaway we have from that is that the presence of God, being in the presence of God, was such a serious thing and no one could come. You had to follow the rules. You couldn't just come into God's presence without being invited and without being the right person at the right time. It's incredible. And now today, it couldn't be more opposite. God welcomes us to come into his presence, doesn't he? At all times, like we talk about the presence of God in the church, and that's a wonderful thing. We come together, sometimes we feel his manifest presence. It's a beautiful thing. But let me tell you, I've experienced the presence of God in my life a thousand times more when I'm by myself, on my knees, reading my Bible, studying his word, saying, God, speak to me and show me your heart. That's when I've experienced the presence of God even more. We can't rely just on these church settings. It's great. We love it when we get excited about God in church and corporately we come together and there's an excitement about the presence of the Lord. Those are beautiful moments, but those are to get us through till we get to that time we could be alone and experience his heart in a, in a more powerful way because he, God honors that when we come to him like that. He says we can come boldly to his throne of grace now. There's no coming in tepidly, you know, and scared and wondering God's going to strike me dead. He says, come, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He's begging us to come to him. And the reason he wants us to come to him is because he wants to give us his heart. And when we have his heart, it, it flows out into the people in our lives. We will go and tell it. Part of the reason the church isn't going and telling it very much is because a lot of us don't spend enough time to, with Jesus to really know him. And we don't know what we're talking about. We don't really know how to tell somebody how to experience him because we haven't experienced him ourselves a whole lot. And I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just saying in general, this is something we're experiencing in the church at large. You know, we, we can't speak of someone we don't know about. Now, we do try, don't we? Not just even with Jesus. We try with all kinds of things. You know, I have three teenagers in my house, so it happens in my house on the regular. People trying to talk about something they don't know anything about. <laughs> I had a 15-minute discussion with one of my children two days ago about something that doesn't exist that they were just convinced it did. And I'm not going to tell you that her name's Mackenzie. <laughs> but that's just how it is, you know? I mean, politicians do it every day. We try to tell us all kinds of stuff. We know they don't know what they're talking about. They're just trying to get votes. And we don't have respect for them either when they do that, do we? You know, you would never take relationship advice from someone that has a new soulmate every three weeks. You don't do it. There's a saying that you should never trust a skinny cook or a bald barber. Because it doesn't look like they know what they're talking about. A skinny cook, man, don't ever trust a skinny cook, you know? You can't even eat your own food. Why would I want to eat it? You know, we don't, we don't 
take ministry advice from an atheist. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on, you know. The fact of the matter is we have to know what we're talking about. And Jesus is calling us saying, come, come into my presence, get to know me, learn of me, learn of me. Because he wants to give us his heart. And the only way we can do that is if we actually get with him and get to know him. Um, Okay, now I want to move on to the next one because I could stay on this one forever, but I have to move on. The the second principle of uh, living a life that will go and tell it is our response to others. And this is big. We are called to respond in love to people in our lives, to everyone that we come in contact with in a way that, uh, that will make an impact in their life. Look, look what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 46 to 48. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's saying, Jesus is saying here, I'm, I'm not impressed when you love those that can love you back. I'm impressed when you love those that are unlovable. Or that you can get nothing in return from them. You know, we go down to the clubs, we don't get anything in return. We're just going down to love them. That's, that's what it's about. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't just love those and be good to those and lend to those and take care of those, invite those to dinner that you know can re- reciprocate sometime. You got to love those that can't, you can get nothing in return from it. Because that's what's going to impact the kingdom of God in the lives of people. That's what makes a difference in people's lives when we love those that may not be as lovable. You know, whether it's even people you know that it's just about the fact that, you know, they just kind of get on your nerves, you know. But loving them is so important because I know if you're, if you're saved and you're in a family that there's, you know, there's, not, there's a lot of people that aren't saved. Christmas time, you're spending time with family. It can be you kind of hit this we them mentality. You're just trying to get through it. Go the extra mile and love them. Go the extra mile and love them. Show them what the love of Jesus means to you by loving others. Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to love others. You have to. It's a, it's a natural outpouring of who we are and what we do. Um, there's a, there's a, a story in Matthew 25. I'm not going to read it because it's lengthy, but it's Matthew 25, the, I think 31 to 46. You can read it when you get home. But it, it's the story of the sheep and the goats. It's Jesus talking about the judgment. And it, it goes to say that he, when he comes back on, to sit on his throne, that he's going to bring all the nations to him. Okay, And he's going to separate them. As if you're separating sheep and goats. The sheep are going to be on his right. Those are, those are the Christians. The goats are on the left. Those are the ones that rejected him. And he's going to look at the sheep and he's going to say, enter into your inheritance that's been created for you. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was sick, you looked after me. And the sheep are going to say, well, Lord, when did we see you in all those ways and do that for you? And he's going to say, what you did for the least of these, you did it for me. And he's going to look at the goats and say just the opposite. Because you didn't do all those things, you're, you're basically getting your reward, which is the eternal fire that was created for Satan and his angels. And, you know, there's a lot of interpretations to this judgment because obviously there's, there's a glaring thing missing in this judgment. It doesn't say anything about forgiveness of sins. It doesn't say anything about the grace of God. It almost makes it look like we get into heaven based on our works, you know, whether or not we love people well or don't love them well. Because you, you can make the argument that those goats, they didn't do it. It wasn't a sin necessarily to not take care of all those other things. Um, and so this isn't really a, a um, we can't really take it literally. The, the theologians love to argue, but I've studied it and they, they love to argue and nobody really comes to any solid conclusions as far as um, how literal this this, par- this uh, story is. But 
the one thing we can take away from it, the reason I'm bringing it up, is there's, something, there's one thing that's crystal clear in this, because these are the words of Jesus. What he's saying here is there is no place for indifference in the Christian's life when it comes to meeting the needs of those in our, in our society that are hurting. There's no place for indifference. At the very least, Jesus is saying it, to the goats, you didn't do these things, and I, it's not okay with me. We, there's no way for us as believers to say, I love Jesus, but I'm not going to try to make any difference in anybody else's life that's a down and out or, or somebody that's an outcast of society. He says there's no place for that. And again, it's why we do the club outreach. It's why we do the bridge. It's why we do these things. And, and I, I, think, I think as a church, New Hope, we're, we're doing a pretty good job of, of trying to make a difference in our society. You know, I'm, I'm reading a book right now. And one of the questions it asks, it's about church work and it says uh if you, the doors of your church were to close tomorrow would your community even notice and I, I think yeah i think they would i think we're making an impact i think we could do more but i think we're making an impact in a way that's affecting our community and our culture here today so uh, i'm thankful for that but jesus is saying there's no place for indifference when you're when you're a follower of jesus and he has called us to good works he's called us to do those things uh that will make a difference in people's lives not not so that we could just feel good about ourselves, but because those are the things that impact people. Let, let's look at what Paul says about good works. In Ephesians 2 and verse 8, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what he's saying here, he's making it very clear that we're not saved by works. He says we're saved by grace so that no one can boast. There's not a single person out there that can boast and say, yeah, I got saved because of all the stuff I did. You get saved by the grace of God. And he's saying that it's not works. But it's really interesting in this passage because literally two sentences later, he says, but, he's got a little caveat there. You're not saved by this, but I hate to tell you guys that uh, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. So we're not saved by those works, but he says that's no excuse not to do them. You weren't saved by them, but God help you if you don't do it, because that is exactly why you were created. It is to do, to do good works. Now you may ask, well, why does he create us to do good works? Because that's what wins the lost. That's what wins people. When you do good works, you're not doing good works for yourself. You know, When I shower and clean up and wash my hair and put on clothes, I, that's not for me. You know? When we do good works, we do it for other people. It's, a, it's always a blessing to others when we do those things. We, the good works we should do, we do should not be for us. It's for others. And God has called us to do those things. And those make a difference in our life. That's, when we respond to others by, with good works and love, it makes a difference. And, you know, I, I want to take this opportunity here just for a minute to mention another ministry that um, it's, not, it's not sanctioned by New Hope, but it's... Um, we're, we're involved with it. We help support it. Uh, there's a ministry called Serving Time of the CSRA. And uh, a lot of you know Bill and Pat Colbert. They actually lead a connect group back here during the 10 o'clock hour on Sundays. And they've been here for a while. And uh, uh, Bill is heavily involved in a ministry called Serving Time of the CSRA. And it is a prison ministry. And, uh, man, I, I just think, I just wanted to mention it today because I feel like, well, that's, you know, that, that, that uh, passage in Matthew 25, Jesus specifically mentions I was in prison, you came and visited me. Now, we know Jesus was never in prison. So he's not talking about him. He's talking about people that had to go to prison. He's saying, I was in prison, you visited me. And that's what these guys do. And they go into pretty much every prison in the CSRA on a regular basis. And they do Bible studies with these guys. 
the men go into the, the guys' block and the women go into the women's blocks. And they do Bible studies. And it's voluntary for these guys, but they come. And they are excited when they get there. And they come and they get to share the gospel. They get to do Bible studies with them. They get to pray with them. It's really, really phenomenal what they are doing. And, and Bill's been kind of telling me how they've been doing it over the last little while. And, and uh, one thing he's mentioned to me is that uh, they, they're always needing more people to volunteer. Because a lot of people get freaked out about going into a prison because uh, it would be out of their comfort zone. But let me tell you, uh, the blessings they get and the, the stories that they tell are really phenomenal. And uh, I just want you to know that if anybody, if you want to be part of that, there's a place for you to be a part of it. You have to go through a background check and all of that, obviously, but um, it's really a wonderful ministry. And I told Bill, you know, we'd, we'd have information at the information desk if any of you want that, uh, that he'll, he'll contact you. If you just want to sign your name and, and your email or your phone number and he'll contact you if you want to be part of that. But I think that's a powerful ministry. In fact, uh, we're also going to be a, a drop-off place for them. Uh, for the foreseeable future because they, they take Bibles, they buy Bibles and take them into these guys and they, uh, they, take, they get books, Christian literature because a lot of these people, you know, they got a lot of time so they can read. So anybody, if you got paperback books you don't want anymore, they have to be paperback, they can't have any staples in them. But if you want to drop those off, we're just going to be a place here that, you know, any Sunday you want, you drop those off, we'll make sure Bill gets them. But uh, it's a powerful ministry. His website is servingtimeofthecsra.org. I encourage you to look at it, just see what they're doing. They're, they're really going in there and they're really where the rubber meets the road, they're really hitting it hard, and it's a beautiful thing. So just wanted to give a little plug for Bill. He couldn't be here today, but, uh, but I'm thankful for what they do. All right, so the, the third and final principle that I want to give you today that, where we can live a life that tells it is radical faith. God has called us as believers to radical faith. Now you might ask, well, what is radical faith? Well, today, frankly, I feel like today, if you just uh, walk in faith and adhere to the word of God and walk in obedience, that's considered radical probably today. Because there's so many that, uh, that don't really try to live a lifestyle that, that exemplifies obedience to the word of God. But, but we're called even more than that. We're called to be radical in our faith because when, we're, when we step out and we, we step out on that limb and risk it all, especially for, for others, uh, God, God always shows up. He always meets us in those places. He always uh, honors our faith. In fact, in Hebrews 11 and 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's who our God is. It is impossible to please him if we don't walk in faith. You know, last week we talked about James 2 and how it says that you know, faith without works is dead. Well, Hebrews eleven six here says works without faith is deader. If deader was a word, but I don't think it is. But it's, it's, it's worse. We, we cannot, if we're doing the things we're doing, if we're just doing good works, but it's not, it's not accompanied with our faith in God and his ability to bless our efforts and to anoint us in a way that we will be able to make an impact in people's lives, we're kind of wasting our time. You know, it's going to be, it's somewhat fruitless because there's got to be faith that comes alongside everything that we do because a genuine faith actually draws people to God. You know, religion turns people off to God. Religion makes people either fear God or hate him. Religion is what brings all kinds of trouble in this world. But a genuine faith in God, it actually draws people to God. It actually causes people to want what we have. I've mentioned this, I think we talked about it last week, that, that if we would live in such a way that people would see us and say, man, I just want to be part of that community. I want to be part of what they're doing because they've obviously got something I don't because they're living in such a way that's so powerful and so exemplary of, of the, the heart of God in our life. Um, obedience is always followed 
in our life and pays dividends, always pays dividends in our lives. If we live a life of obedience, um, I, I think so. I thought of this when I was preparing this, I was thinking, you know, God's like a glorious Willy Wonka. If you guys remember Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory, you know, Charlie actually, he, spoiler alert here if you haven't seen it, but it's been out for 50 years. So if you haven't seen it, you're probably not going to, uh, but Charlie actually gets the, the chocolate factory given to him by Willie because he was the only one of the kids that got to go through the factory that actually uh, listened to the rules and obeyed and, and gave back the piece of candy that was supposed to be given back and not taken to give, be given to one of the competitors. And, Will, and it was a test that Willie Wonka put all these kids through and only one of them passed it. And his reward was pretty phenomenal. And I believe, I believe that's, that's how God is in some ways in our lives, guys. He, he tests us. I preached a sermon a few months ago here at this church proven very clearly that God tests his children. He tests us as believers. He puts us through tests, but he also tests us to see how we will respond. The Bible is very clear. It says, if you're faithful with the little, I'll give you much. Why would, he, why would he make us be faithful with the little to give us much if he's not testing us? That sounds like a test to me. That's how he works. And he wants us to be faithful. Now, that being said, I think our motivation for being faithful and wanting to, to be rewarded uh, in that setting is, is more about wanting to have a, a harvest of souls in our life, you know? Uh, the Bible says that we will reap a harvest. He says, do not grow weary in doing good because in time you will reap a harvest. And, you know, we like to use that verse to say, well, I'll reap a harvest in my own life. You know, I'm going to keep doing good because eventually it's all going to come back to me. I, I don't really think that's the principle. I don't, I don't think that's the heart of God as much in our life as much as it is that we would reap a harvest of souls if we continue to do good. If we continue to walk in radical faith and obedience to God, we'll see a heart. You know, most of the time in the Bible when harvest is talked about, it's talked about souls. You know, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. It's ready. There's just not enough laborers. So we were supposed to pray that God would send laborers into the harvest. So when we talk about harvest, we're talking about souls. And so the Bible says if we, if we don't grow weary in doing good, we will reap a harvest if we continue and keep doing what we're doing. And I think that's a challenge for each one of us to make sure that we are walking in obedience and, and in accordance with the word of God in our life. And, you know, that, that's a that's a... Uh, narrative that doesn't get said a whole lot because we we want to push grace and i'm all about that we got to push grace and let people know like listen you're not earning your salvation you're not earning that right standing with god but but he does honor our obedience you know and i think i think tests are put in our in our path all the time you know you're going to go to lunch when you leave here and and you're going to you might pray before your meal and your your server's going to watch you pray before your meal and then your bill comes and if you're you know they left the soup off the bill are you going to say something are you going to say something to that server and say hey you left the, the soup off my bill i'll make sure i I uh, honor this, what I got. And, and, and what do you think that would do to a, an, an unbeliever server that, that sees that you're a Christian and you're, you're wanting to make sure you pay what's, what's due? Because that will also make their tip go up if you pay it by a percentage. So you're honoring them too. And I, I, I think those tests are put in our path all the time. How are you going to respond to those things? You know, And that's a small, small thing to say, hey, you left my $4 soup off my ticket. You know, but we have bigger opportunities in our life too, that tests are brought in front of us that if our faith is solid in the word and, and wanting to honor God, that we will have to step out and really take a risk sometimes to honor God in situations. But that radical faith is what tells the world that we love Jesus and that he's worth it. And that, uh, I'm going to do what I, what I think Jesus would do in this situation because I believe it will honor him and it will make an impact in the lives of those that we come in contact with. So. Um, so we, we focus on our intimacy with God, our response to others, and our radical faith. And the last week we talked about generosity. I think those four things, that's a way that we can live in a way that will go and tell of the love of God in our lives and spread to the people that God would put in our path 
that we can make an impact for them. So I'm going I'm to ask you to stand with me, please, this, this afternoon as we close. And I'm just going to pray over us. I'm going to pray that God would do his work in us, that, that this would be something that becomes a lifestyle for us and not, not just a series that we, that we come and listen to. Amen. So if you would, as, the, as the, the band comes up, if you guys would pray with me, I'd like to pray over you. Jesus, we thank you so much today for your word. We thank you for who you are, God. Lord, we thank you so much today that your, your mandate for us to go and tell it. God, that you, that you trust us enough, that you put your heart in us to where you would trust us to, to be your hands and your feet. Lord, we know that, that you in us is the hope of glory. That you've called us to be salt and light in this world. And God, we want to take it seriously. Lord, we want to, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to focus energy and attention on our intimate relationship with you. That we would come to you, God, and we would spend that time with you. That we would not allow that everything else that's pulling at our time to get in the way of us having that personal, intimate, deep relationship with you, God. Because we believe that everything else in our life, all the deeds we do, all the words we say will spring off of that relationship with you, God. And I pray, Lord, today that you'd help us to respond well to others. We would love those that, couldn't, that can't love us back. That we will uh, honor and bless and be generous to those that we know cannot reciprocate. But, God, we do it just because we love you. And we would respond well. Or we don't want to be the goats. We want to be the sheep. And we, we want to walk in such a way that your love in us will come through to those in our life. And, Lord, for radical faith, too, God. Help us to walk in obedience to your word, Lord. And, and to be radical in our belief that you are greater and you are worth it for us to walk and to honor you. And God, I pray we would respond well in those situations where we have an opportunity to walk in that radical faith. Lord, we pray that you and you alone be glorified in our lives, Lord, that you would be honored above all else. We give you all the glory. We thank you for this, uh, for this church and for, Lord, their generosity they're giving to this outreach. God, I pray that this, this money that was given would go to further your kingdom. To, to pierce the hearts, to change lives, and to set people free in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you for it today. I pray you'd seal your work in our hearts this morning for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen and amen.